And it almost sounds impossible, but yet we believe it. We believe what Jesus did on the cross on a hill outside Jerusalem in the first century reconciled us to God, restored our relationship with our Creator. Now, some might contend that's nothing more than wishful thinking. You know, how could anyone believe that a single act could have such a lasting effect? But you know, if we turn the tables on the nature of the act, it becomes more believable. We've all seen the effects of one person ruining it for everyone, from the guy who left the gate open and forced the landowner to lock everyone out, to Hitler's aggression, plunging the world into war. It's easier to believe one person can ruin things for everyone than to believe one person can fix things for everyone. And Chrysostom, an early church father living in the 4th century, saw how this fact could be used to convince a skeptic. He asked, If a Jew should ask you how it is possible that through the power of one Christ the world is saved, then ask him how it is possible that through one disobedient Adam the whole world was damned. Now the argument was brilliant. But of course, Christendom wasn't the first to use it. The Apostle Paul used this argument in the fifth chapter of Romans to assure us that what Jesus did alone on the cross does indeed make a difference in our life today. He began his argument by making it clear that sin came through one man. We're in Romans chapter 5, ready for verses 12 through 14. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam who is a type of him who was to come. Again, Romans sometimes is a little hard for us to follow, but it's worth the effort. It's worth the effort. Paul begins, through one man, sin entered the world. Now, are you surprised to hear from the lips of the apostle Paul that through one man, sin came into the world. You may have been expecting to have heard through one woman, sin entered the world. But that's not what he said. Apparently, Paul is not the misogynist he's purported to be. He says through one man, sin entered the world. And he's referring back to the Garden of Eden and to Adam, who was held responsible for that first sin. Now, while reading through Genesis this year, something dawned on me that I had never considered before. When God said not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
Adam was alone in the garden. Eve wasn't created until after God had told Adam not to eat and that if he were to do so, he would die. I can find no record of God repeating that to Eve. So when Satan asked Eve about the tree, she only knew what her husband had told her. When Satan said that God had said they couldn't eat from any tree in the garden, she straightened him out. Adam had told her correctly that they could eat from all the trees except for the one in the middle. But then she said something that God had not told Adam. She said that God said that even if they touched the tree, they would die. Apparently, that's what Adam had told her. Now, why he felt it necessary to add a further prohibition to what God had said, we have no way of knowing. But perhaps, thinking her to be weaker and more prone to temptation than he, he was trying to scare her away from the tree, like a parent exaggerating the effects of something they know to be harmful to their children. You know, if you go outside without a coat, you'll catch your death of pneumonia. Or don't cross your eyes, or they'll get stuck that way. <laughs> well, Adam's exaggeration, like that of an overprotective parent, may have actually made the fruit more enticing because when Eve touched the tree, she didn't die. And it may have even caused her to question the word of God because what she had been told was proven to not be true. Whatever the case, the bottom line is that even though Adam tried to blame Eve for the sin and God for giving her to him, he was the one who had been told not to eat from the tree. And by taking liberties with God's word and putting words into God's mouth, he may have contributed to Eve's failure to resist Satan's tempting deception. So yes, it was through one man that sin entered the world. And with sin came death. The consequence God had declared would result if Adam disobeyed him. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden and access to the tree of life was cut off. As a result, death, the consequence of Adam's sin, spread to all men. And then Paul noted that death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, what he meant by the phrase, because all sinned, has been debated since Augustine debated Pelagius in the 5th century on the topic of original sin. Some insist it means that all sinned with Adam when he sinned, because he was their ancestor. Others say it's merely stating the fact that once Adam opened the door to sin, Everyone followed him through it. Now, obviously, we are most comfortable with that second interpretation. And it is true 
that all have sinned since Adam. Romans 3.23 makes that clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There may, however, be more to it than that. And we'll dig a little deeper in a moment. But as soon as Paul said, because all sinned, you notice the text gets a little awkward there. Apparently he digressed to address the question of sinning before the law was given. You know, Adam had disobeyed a specific command of God. But with the exception of a few commands God gave to selected individuals such as Noah and Abraham, most people living before the law was given did not have specific commands to obey or disobey. So how could they be charged with breaking the law when there was no law to break? Well, they couldn't. Sin is not imputed. Sin is not charged to your record when there's no law. If there's no law against driving through an intersection, you can't be charged with failing to stop. It would, however, still be wrong to run over someone walking through the intersection just because there is no stop sign. So sin, wrong behavior, was in the world even before the law was given to Moses. And death, the consequence of sin, reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who didn't disobey a specific command of God, as had Adam. The point Paul is trying to make is simply that everyone, one way or another, suffers from the consequences of Adam's sin. And in that regard, he is a type of him who is to come. Now, a type is a person or event or object in history that corresponds to another. It comes from the word tupos, which is the impression left by a die, which in turn serves to make a mold out of which a likeness can be made. Adam, Paul said, was a type of him who was to come, a type of Christ. Now, obviously, Christ wasn't like Adam with regard to sin. But Christ was like Adam with regard to the effects of a man's actions. Sin and death came through one man, through Adam. And in a similar way, grace and life came through one man, Jesus, who Paul calls the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15. So sin came through one man. And by the same token, grace came through one man. Verses 15 through 17. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. 
But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Sin came from one man, and grace came from another. That's the similarity. The difference is in the effects of what each man did. The transgression of the one resulted in the death of many. But the grace of God and the free gift of grace from the one man, Jesus Christ, was offered to the many. And the gift is not at all like that which came through the one who sinned. In fact, it's the opposite. What Adam did through one transgression led to judgment and resulted in condemnation for all. But what Jesus did arose from many transgressions, not his, but ours, and resulted in our justification. What Jesus did resulted in our being viewed by God just as if we'd never sinned. So even though death reigned because of the transgression of the one, of Adam, the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the obedience of the one, capital O, one, Jesus Christ. At least it will reign in the lives of those who receive the abundance of grace he makes possible. In other words, what Adam did, Christ is able to undo. And since sin came through one man, it shouldn't surprise us to discover that grace came through one man as well. In fact, both sin and grace came through just one act by each. Verses 18 and 19. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. It was just one transgression that resulted in condemnation for all men. And it was just one act of righteousness that resulted in justification for all men. Justification of life. For all men is the way Paul puts that. And I like that. Justification of life. Our whole life can be justified. Everything we have ever done or will do in life can be made right in God's eyes by one act of righteousness. Not ours, but Christ's. For as Paul says, through the one man's disobedience... That many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many 
will be made righteous. Paul's argument is that if one man's sin can condemn us, it should not surprise us to discover that one man's righteous act can save us. Now, that brings us back to the question we raised in verse 12. Through one man's sin, through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Now, to assume that simply means that death spread to all because they, like Adam, sinned, actually cuts the heart out of Paul's argument, if we're going to hold that. If we say all die because they sinned like Adam, we have to say all live because they are righteous like Christ. And obviously, that is not what Paul is trying to say. He's saying that because of what Adam did, we die. And because of what Christ did, we can live. Now, the first part of that uh, kind of bothers us. Why should we have to pay for what Adam did? doesn't seem to gel with us at all, but maybe the problem is more cultural than we realize. You know, most communities in the world and throughout history are and have been far less individualistic than we are. Most other cultures have no problem understanding the collective solidarity of the extended family or the tribe. You know, if I were to attack the member of another tribe, it would be as if I were attacking the whole tribe. And the entire tribe would seek revenge, not on me, but on my tribe. What I had done affected everyone through no fault of their own. And I think it's that kind of thinking that made it very easy for those living in biblical times to accept the fact that Adam's sin affected the whole of mankind. Paul didn't have to convince them of that. They accepted it. He was simply using something they accepted to prove the possibility of something they found harder to accept, that through the death of Christ, they could all be saved. And there's another element of that that I think we need to explore. Another reason could be that they accepted the fact that somehow in Adam, everyone did sin. And they could see a similar thing taking place in Abraham's paying of tithes to Melchizedek. Now, this is going to sound far-fetched, but the writer of Hebrews uses this as an argument to show that the Melchizedekian priesthood was greater than the Levitical priesthood because through Abraham, Levi, who received tithes from the Jews, had actually paid tithes to Melchizedek. And he says he did so because he was in the loins of his father when Abraham paid the tithe. That seems, again, a little strange to us. But I think in the same way, we sinned with Adam when he ate the forbidden fruit. We were there in him when he sinned. And we share in the guilt of his sin. Now, if you don't like that, 
If it still doesn't seem fair to you that you should be condemned because of Adam's sin, just remember you're saved because of Christ's righteousness. Surely one cancels out the other. I can accept something that's a little hard to believe if it reinforces something that I need to believe. That's Paul's argument here. And if the Bible teaches I'm accountable for Adam's sin as well as my own, that's fine, as long as it also teaches I'm not going to be held accountable for any of it if I'll accept the grace that is greater than all my sin. You know, accepting the fact that another man's sin may condemn me gives me the assurance that another man's righteousness can save me. That's the whole point of Paul's argument here. And again, the book of Romans is a bit tough to sort through. But this is the key to our faith. Understanding how it's possible for what one man did on a cross 2,000 years ago to give us standing before God, to wash away our sins, to make us appear before God just as if we'd never sinned. We have sinned. We have all sinned. We've sinned in the likeness of Adam's sin and... In fact, through Adam, we shared in his sin as well because he is our ancestor. Again, some of that logic doesn't, doesn't uh, set with us well. But certainly, the logic of one man's act saving us gives us amazing grace and hope. I can accept. I can accept that I took part in what Adam did, if I can also be assured that I can take part in what Jesus did. He saved me. I can accept that, and I trust you can too, because we have a grace that is greater than all the collective sin of all men of all time. The price was paid by one man, Jesus Christ. Let's celebrate.